1: Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. Welcome to another episode of Anne Security for All. Happy Pre-Veterans Day for all my peers and friends and all the people I don't know and all the people that I happen to serve within the Navy. I hope tomorrow you all have a special day. And I want to thank everyone for their service, especially all the um, all the people that served in the military after me. Um, So, again, happy Pre-Veterans Day. Um, Hopefully, you all got to join in last week. We had Jonathan Kimmon on the show. He's the CISO for um, Alice Cybersecurity. He um, guest-hosted for me because I was running our Phoenix show, our Phoenix Cybersecurity show, and I was heading back. And he, his guest last week, was actually ChatGPT. I was at the airport actually trying to get a rental car, and I was listening to him, and it was such an intriguing um, hour he had. He tried to trick uh, ChatGPT. He spent the whole hour, it went very fast. And then oddly enough, the day before, our guest in Phoenix was um, Michael Manrod, who's the CISO over at Grand Canyon University. And he spoke on, I tricked AI and I liked it. So both of those sessions were really great. You can catch these discussions on the FutureCon events YouTube page. Again, for those of you that don't know, I am the CEO of FutureCon Events. We travel all over North America hosting our cybersecurity conferences. We are on the home stretch this year. We're heading out to Nashville next week. Then we go to Boston, Atlanta, and Houston. Then we take about a month off uh, over the holidays to catch up and have some breathing space. And then we do it again in 2024. Very fun times. We have a call out for a lot of our speakers Next year, we're going to be in 28 different cities. So, for all of you out there, keep an eye on future kind of events because it's probably pretty likely that we'll be heading to a city near you, and we would love to have you join. Uh, we do everything in a hybrid mode still. So, if you can't be with us physically, you can always um, attend any of our events virtually. So, super excited about my guest today. If you all happen to go out to RSA, you may see two men walking around, one with a white hat, one with a black hat cowboy hat you can't miss them um and today i have the black cowboy hat um alan alford he was also our guest two years ago in um, dallas he was our keynote speaker and he is um he has his own podcast called the cyber rant well welcome to the show alan because i'm going to mess up the name of your podcast
2: howdy thanks for having me it is The Cyber Ranch Podcast.
1: Okay, that's what I was going to say, but all of a sudden I went blank there. Well, welcome to the show, Alan. How are you?
2: I'm good. Thanks for having me. I uh, pardon my casual appearance. I literally uh, sprinted from the car to the podcast booth after a Sporting Clays event all morning.
1: No worries. We're just happy to have you here. This is a casual podcast, so we're happy to have you. So a lot has happened since I I saw you walking around. Not I missed you this past year, RSA, but the year before I saw you with your buddy with your two hats, which is so funny because you guys are so easy to spot. There's so many people out there. I think that's awesome that you. And we find each
2: other in the crowd too every year. Like, oh, there's the other hat.
1: That's so (laughs) funny. I'm glad no one's copied your idea because you know how our world is. So. Right. um, So tell us a little bit what's been going on with you. Because last time I saw you, you were not out on your own. You've made a little bit of a transition. So tell us a little bit about your career change in the last couple of years.
2: Sure. So I was a CISO five times in um, four different industries. Um, did the CISO thing quite a bit, in quite a lot of places, um, companies as small as five employees, as big as, you know, a hundred thousand, um, revenues up to 10 billion, um, you know, on down to a couple of million on, on the, on the low end, did that a lot, um, had the CISO experience in a lot of places and, in, in, in verticals and sizes and, and really enjoyed it, but decided this time, instead of being a CISO again, I was going to break out on my own. Um, so I have launched Allen Alford Consulting. It's now a little bit more than a year old now at this point. Uh, I've got multiple clients. I'm doing fractional CISO, VC, so, uh consulting at the enterprise level, uh, doing some advising for some cyber companies as well, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And of course, still running the Cyber Ranch podcast as well. So I, I stay busy.
1: You know, it's so interesting because as you know, there's I, I have the great pleasure of meeting so many CISOs all over the country. Mm-hmm. And for all my years of doing this, I see so many CISOs break out onto their own. And sometimes I see them, it doesn't work out and they go back into the industry. So, um, you know, congratulations for you that everything's going great. Why do you, and, and this kind of ties into some of the things we're going to talk about today, which I'm really excited to t- tap into the subject because, um, you know, you know why do you uh, well we all we all know probably why a lot of CSOs go out onto their own because it's it's probably pretty profitable I would think to break away on your own but there has to there's some scariness with that too because you're taking some risks so what made you decide to go that route
2: you know for me ultimately uh, my previous gig before this was a startup um, great startup great bunch great people we're still good friends I still you know advise for them and help them out here and there with things um, But I was putting in, you know, it's startup life. I was putting in 60, 80-hour weeks on a regular basis. I mean, working every weekend, 10 and 12-hour days, Saturday and Sunday and Monday through Friday and just over and over and over. And I realized at some point if I'm going to be a workaholic, which I am, and I'm going to keep overworking, which I do, I might as well get paid by the hour. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> that was
2: that yeah that was really the logic behind it
1: well i being being my own a business owner I, I you know that's all i've known most of my life so yeah. i understand it if you're gonna you know put in 78 out 70 80 hours a week it's nice that you're doing it for yourself so yeah, exactly make them billable exactly so it was interesting we were in phoenix last week and one of our um one of our sponsors actually brought, he, well, it was supposed to be the CISO of the city of Phoenix, but he got tied up. So the deputy CISO came in and I'm um, surprised to us. I, I was really happy to make that connection. But one of the things he just, did a QA and a with our audience, mm-hmm. and it did come up, you know, what's happening in the cyber industry with some CISOs, and we talked about the Solar Winds, what's going on with that, and a little bit of Uber, and what does this mean for the cybersecurity professionals, mm-hmm. and I think it is a scary time we are in, and let's just kind of dive into it, and if you can just kind of maybe give our audience a recap of what, because we do have two sets of listeners today, we have yeah. this, the people that are on LinkedIn. That are very pretty much all cybersecurity professionals, but some of the people on Voice America, they are just trying to figure out what is what's going on with cybersecurity. So, um, so for them, can you tell them a little bit what happened with Solar Winds, and then let's dive into you know. Uh, what what How many years has it been? Three, four years, five years. How long, when did that happen?
2: Um, I want to say it was all about three years ago, everything they're they're citing uh, uh, three, three, four years ago. Um, but but what's basically going on is the SEC um, has um, you know submitted a filing. It is a 68 page. Um, let's see here, I'm gonna read it right here. Um, United States District Court, Southern District of New York, Securities and Exchange Commission plaintiff versus the Solar Winds Corporation and Timothy G. Brown as the defendants. It's a complaint. Um, Tim Brown is the CISO. Um, and so what we're seeing is that the company is named and an individual is named and the individual being named happens to be the CISO, not the CEO, not the CFO. The only individual named in this complaint is uh, the CISO himself, right? And so there's been a lot of folks in cybersecurity kind of freaking out about this a little bit because it's, it's on the heels of the the Joe Sullivan Uber case. He was the CISO at Uber and it was a similar story where he himself was personally called out by the SEC. Um, there's been a lot of CISOs that are automatically just sort of going straight to this. Um, CISOs are being scapegoated mindset. Um, there's, there's fear. Uh, there's paranoia. We're, we're a fearful and paranoid lot by by definition. Um, so I think some of it is, is just simply that. But but there's a lot of folks that are really concerned that CISOs are being named and called out um, by the government in these types of situations. And that scapegoating is definitely a word being used a lot. Uh, there's other CISOs who will tell you, oh, yeah, this guy lied. He's guilty, you know throw the book at him, you know, and, and, and you're sort of seeing both camps. Uh, and it was the same story with Joe Sullivan and Uber that we're seeing now with Tim Brown and, and SolarWinds that, that you're seeing CISOs kind of pretty well divided on it. I think the bulk of them probably saying, hey, he's being scapegoated. Uh, the second bigger crowd saying he's, he's lied. He's done all these horrible things. He, you know, he deserves punishment. Um, but but my caution to everybody, and and I posted this on LinkedIn a little bit earlier, is, is you know, first of all, none of us are lawyers. We're CSOs, right? Let's get that straight right off the bat for us to be speculating and hypothesizing and pontificating, et cetera, et cetera. We're not lawyers. We're CSOs. So, so we need to kind of pause for a moment before we get to uh, speaking about what it is, right? Um, That was my caution. Number one to the community. My caution number two to the community was, you know, this is an innocent until proven guilty country, thankfully um so rushing straight to this guy's guilty based on the sec and in their initial complaint said x y and z well there there were some very good graphic details given of an email was sent to so-and-so and a customer meeting where such and such was said and clearly the SEC's done a lot of their homework um but that still doesn't mean anybody's guilty uh it's innocent until proven guilty in this country this was complaint number one uh a lawyer friend of mine pointed out you know rightfully so you know this is this is step one in a very long journey um, the, the, the fundamental premise here is the SEC is going to file an initial complaint. Then you're going to get a response from SolarWinds. You're going to get a response from Tim Brown. You're going to get a response from, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Then the SEC will come back. There will be more discovery, more evidence, more emails uncovered, more conversations uncovered. This is going to go back and forth quite a bit. Um, but ra- as it stands right now, I guess I should summarize what the SEC is saying is um, essentially in the official filings to the SEC, as well as in conversations with clients and customers, Uh, SolarWinds presented and Tim Tim Brown presented that uh, security was in this kind of state in a good place. And yet there's there's evidence of internal conversations, emails, et cetera, et cetera, where security was not in as good a state as what they were saying it was publicly. So essentially what the what the claim is, is, you know they lied, they lied to the SEC and they lied to key customers. And, and, you know, there was legitimate material risk on the table that they were covering up. That's the accusation. Um, emails are cited. Conversations are cited. But again, we've only seen one side of it. We've only seen the first snippet of it. Uh, we haven't seen anybody's responses yet, really. Uh, SolarWinds literally just came out with a re- response their their initial volley back. And I, and I was reading an article on the register, the, uh, the paper from the UK, um it, it's i mean it's dated 1703 utc right it's this this came out just yesterday um afternoon right um and it is um you know solar winds first response back saying you know oh they they cherry picked you know this statement and that statement and you know they're 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 trying to craft a narrative based on these little bitty bits of crumbs here and there that they're stringing together and creating a narrative you know it's it's the typical response you would expect back you know we've got our own narrative we've got our own story we've got our own trail of evidence and, and we are outright you know saying that your stuff is wrong right like like full denial full stop so it's it's kind of what everybody expected it's going to go on for a while there's going to be a lot of back and forth and a lot more evidence to be uncovered um but CISOs are worried there's a lot of CISOs that are genuinely worried and um I can say this that at a high level you know big picture view let's let's Take pause on all of this and not think about solar winds in particular, Uber in particular, any of the ceases who've been named in particular. Let's just look at what is the SEC trying to accomplish here? Like, what's the goal? What's the high-level goal? The SEC is attempting to, in its in its um, authority as a regulatory body, is attempting to strengthen cybersecurity practices in publicly traded companies in America. That's what's going on. That's what the SEC's goal is. And there are a lot of folks who are looking at how the SEC is going about this and saying, "Okay, bully for them. They they're doing it, you know, by 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 going after companies that are that are potentially not telling the truth about their security posture, by going after CISOs who are potentially not telling the truth about their security posture. This is this is this is the SEC doing what it should do to achieve that goal of strengthening cybersecurity in publicly traded companies. There are just as many folks who are seeing it the opposite, Um, that by naming and targeting the CISOs, what the SEC is really doing is discouraging CISOs from being CISOs, (laughs) that there are people, to your point, Kim, there are folks who are starting to leave this profession. There are CISOs that are walking away from the job and going to do something else besides being a CISO at a publicly traded company because there's so much risk now on the table simply being the CISO. and and so that's you know that's one of the ideas there is maybe the SEC has got a good goal. I think most folks agree that the goal of let's better secure publicly traded America. Okay, cool. That's that's a goal I think most of us can get behind. But if this is the right way to do it or not is really the debate. And I think um, a, a large number of folks, myself included, are really questioning whether targeting CISOs by name um, is is really the way to do it. And and I posted on LinkedIn earlier this week. Um, I shared some personal stories. Uh, Been a CISO many times, as I pointed out at the beginning of this. And I have personally been in situations as the CISO where I came to my boss and said, here's our current state of security. um, And it's not in a great place. Here's the problems I'm seeing and the areas where I think we need to improve and the challenges we have and the risks we're currently carrying, et cetera, et cetera. And I watched as my message was edited and redacted. And by the time it made it up to the board, it was a much rosier picture than the picture I had presented. I've, I've had this happen to me. I've had my words censored on their journey from me to the board. I've seen well, that,
1: yeah, that was the question I was going to ask you because we we wrap up all of our events with the CISO panel, you know, at the end of our events. And that's one of the questions we talk about is, you know, what the CISOs are presenting to the board. And since there's such big financial investments into your security posture and, you know, now probably since winds and since, you know, the, you know, MGMs happened and so many other, you know, big um Breaches, you know, people are starting to take things more serious, but how long it's still kind of that mentality. It's not going to happen to us. And that's not fair to the CISO if the CISO can't get the board's, you know, attention. So what happened? Do you have any idea with solar winds? Like, um, give us a little background if you know it, like on the, how big is solar winds? Has that CISO been there for a long time?
2: Yeah. So, Nobody knows whether the story I just presented is is happening at SolarWinds or not. Um, but that was only one story, the time that my report to the board got censored. There was also the time I was flat out told, don't say that. You're not thinking of the big picture. Quit saying that we have a, a security risk situation that we don't have, when in fact we really did have it. I was literally being told, shut up. Um, so we don't know the story at SolarWinds. And, and this was part of what I put in my LinkedIn posts is we, we don't know. I, as a CISO, have multiple times in my career faced uh, watching my message get edited, faced being told flat out, shut up, you know, toe the line or, or, or lose your job sort of pressure, right? Like it's unspoken. You can lose your job if you don't, if you don't toe the line and say the things that we want you to say, as opposed to, you know, squawking that we have issues, you know, so we don't know the story at Solar We don't know yet. We, we it hasn't been uncovered. And the fact that they've named a company and an individual, and the individual they chose to name was the CISO. Well, what about the CFO, the COO, the CIO, the CEO? Who did Tim report to? What was the hierarchy? What were the messages and communications amongst that hierarchy? Like, why is it only the CISO being named as a person, as opposed to Solar the entity, uh, the company, is the only other you know entity named? Um, this is a very, very important set of questions to ask. We don't know, and it's going to get uncovered. Ideally, you know, the truth will, will come out, right? Um, but I strongly suspect that as we see statements from SolarWinds, as we see statements from Tim Brown, we're going to see that there may be more than one narrative here. And and Tim may well have been under the kind of pressure that I described that I've been put under before. Um, I kind of did an informal poll on LinkedIn, and it was insane to me how many CISOs quietly DM me saying, oh, yeah, I've been there. Oh, yeah, they told me to shut up. Oh, yeah, they censored my board report. You know, it, it's scarily common. Um, that that this practice is taking place out there in in the real world of CISOs. And so to that original question of, you know, what is the impact of CISOs? Well, it's like, okay, if if I'm going to be told I'm not allowed to share the real security story and I have to toe the line and I'm told to shut up, and then later my company and me by name might get sued, who would sign up for that?
1: Exactly. And we have... Solomon Israel just made a point. Thanks for tuning in, Solomon. He said, how is it any different than the industry reaction to the socks? Initially, I remember the same conversation that people mm-hmm. won't want to be CFO.
2: Yeah, I, I I, think what's different is twice in a row now. The only individual named is the CISO. Right. Um, if this is truly about corporate governance, if this is truly about, you um, you know, a 10 K and a 10 Q and an 8 K filing that's being signed by the CEO um, with with data provided by the CISO sub attestations, if you will, signed by the CISO, you know, it's a little scary that only the CISOs are being called out by name, right? That's, I think, the big distinction between this and SOX. SOX was calling out companies wasn't actually targeting that I recall individual CFOs by name saying only the CFO is the one being personally named. It's the company plus this one individual, the CFO. That's what makes this pair of cases kind of a little weird and unique versus SOX in my mind. So
1: where do you think the CISOs go from here? I mean, and and you're all right. All the time I'm seeing CISOs leaving their, you know, their they're they're all the time you know yeah. i i see them one year at my events and the next year they're at a whole different company and yeah they're
2: at a vendor or they're are they, are a they lot going to vendors. practice, or yeah, yeah yeah there's a lot of CISOs jumping ship and going to various other roles and and you know becoming ctos and cios and some other things as well um i i i think at a high level and and, and you see a lot of this on linkedin you see a lot of very trite commentary about you know we'll just don't lie well there's actually that's actually a valid point right like like as the CISO, tell the truth, share the truth, be cautious about not exaggerating, be cautious about how you articulate the truth and where you articulate the truth and document these things. Um, This is not an automatic death knell for CISOs, it's not. Um, But but it should most certainly cause any existing CISO or somebody thinking about becoming a CISO to certainly um, really, really ponder uh, both the ethics and the logistics of doing what they do. you know, the fundamental claim is, you know, don't lie to the SEC, you don't lie to your customers and then and then internally, you know, say that things are horrible. Well, think about the physics of how you report and to whom you report and what you say and when you say and, and being very careful to be accurate, right? Um, there's an attorney named Evan Wolf, cyber attorney, he's a friend of mine, I had him on my show, The Cyber Ranch, uh, just this week talking about this. And And he pointed out that it's super important to be as accurate as possible. And to stay in your swim lane as a CISO, as he put it. In other words, um, what the SEC is really about, what the 10K and the 10Q and the 8K and all these other things are, uh, th- this newest regulation that's come down the pike from the SEC, it's all about retor- reporting material risk, right? This is this is an old school business term. This is a financial term, material risk. Um, and and the new twist is that the SEC is saying we have to report cybersecurity stuff that represents a material risk. Well. It's not the CISOs to determine whether or something is material risk or not, it's the CISOs to determine what the cyber risk is, articulate it clearly and plainly, send it upstairs and let upstairs decide whether that is actually in fact a material risk, right? Um, the CISO shouldn't be the one making that call. Uh, general counsel, CFO, CEO, there should be a lot of other players involved in, in defining what materiality is for that organization. So. That's part of it too, is staying in your swim lane, um, being truthful, don't exaggerate, be cautious where and how you communicate, make sure it's the truth that you're telling when you tell it. Um, and, And I think as long as folks are doing those kinds of things, there's a lot less risk.
1: Well, um, Chris Miller, who is uh, one of our LinkedIn listeners, said, tone at the top is key here. Bad tone, bad leadership risk are being taken on behalf of the CISO mm-hmm. and the CEO. And, and I've been heard these conversations between CISOs all kinds of times, you know, yeah. just, you know, what is the tone of the team? But again, it just, I can't imagine that CISO at Solar Winds like thinking that he may go to prison over this. That's yeah. crazy. I mean, I hopefully that's not going to happen, but it's, it's, you know, if, if that would happen, do you think we're going to start seeing, you know, the downturn of more CISOs?
2: Yeah. So, so this one's uh, the Evan, the, the lawyer who was on my show pointed out this one's a civil, not a criminal case. Right. So I don't think, I don't think okay. prison is on the, is on the roadmap but, for this. But, one. but, but was the
1: Uber there. was the Uber one? Cause there, I there think, were,
2: yeah, there were criminal complaints there. Um, yeah. And, and yes, I mean, at the end of the day, this could really go south this could be somebody sued into oblivion this could be somebody in prison just you know as as more of these cases come out right mm-hmm. your your point is well taken that there's a potential very negative future fate for a given CISO in one of these um, complaints one of these filings criminal investigations whatever they might be um, that's going to definitely have impact uh, on the rest of the community the first time a CISO goes to jail over over difficulties in being a CISO, let's put it that way, a lot of other CISOs are going to jump ship. A lot of people are just going to say, I, I'm never taking that job. Um, but it's very important to articulate and uncover and dig into what does that mean, difficulties of being a CISO, right? And, you know, I, I just shared some stories about, you know, being squelched, uh, about being told to lie, being told to shut up. Um, those kinds of experiences are very negative, obviously, and, and you've got a hard call to make in those circumstances. In my case, I, I chose to leave. Um, I quit jobs without having stuff lined up um to to, to not be the one cornered in that ethical situation. Uh, I wasn't gonna be the one left holding the bag when, when the tone at the top was not the tone I needed it to be. Uh so I've walked. I've done that before. Um well, and, I've
1: seen in the past year, I can think of five different CISOs that have came to me and told me, hey, I was just let go. You know, I won't obviously name who they are. Do right. you know anything out there? And it was some bureaucratical stuff that was happening because they did try to talk. Yeah. So um that That's just a tough place for yes. CISO to be in, because not only do you have the potential of being sued, but you also have the potential of losing good paying jobs that yeah. are out there as the CISO.
2: Yeah, there, there was some definite toe the line or lose your job pressure that I've been placed under in my career. I have been placed under that pressure uh, and I chose to lose the job. Um, I just I took the risk. Um, and not everybody has that luxury. And this is what I said on my LinkedIn post was I I have full sympathy for somebody who realizes the trap they're in, um, but, but wants to make sure they have another gig lined up before they bail. Or who can't find another gig yet and they're scrambling and they're desperate. Or, or maybe they still truly positively believe they can change the company that, okay, this is the situation I've got today, but if I work hard and I'm diligent and I do the right things, I'm optimistic I can turn this around and change the tone at the top. There's a million and one reasons for someone to stay in that circumstance, um, whether temporarily or, or even longer term. And I have full sympathy for anyone who chooses that route. I personally bailed when I ran into this. Um, I took off. I wasn't going to be a part of it. I didn't want it to land on me. Um, and I didn't want to be a part of anything that I knew was was falsehood. Um, it was tough. It was not an easy decision to make. Um, so I don't fault anyone who who tries whatever they have to try to get out of that trap you know, on whatever schedule they can. I, it's just... Well, it's it's just really hard
1: because, you know, many of our friends that, you know, are, you know, maybe older in life that have had good, you know, salaried CISO gigs and then something like this happens now you're out there maybe you know late 40 50 year old man trying to and and i i i only know the men that this has happened to i know a lot of great women out there i'm not i i don't know their stories yet i just only know what i know but then you're in a position of what am i going to do now i tried Mm to i tried to be righteous and do the truth and you know present to my board and i i I lost my job because of it so now what
2: yeah. yeah, and and there there is one caution I want to give that that you know just so nobody thinks I'm t- I'm too horribly slanted towards you know oh the poor Cisos you know CISO as victim kind of thing here. It is imperative and important that you as a C-suite leader are articulating and speaking in business messaging that is uh, appropriate to the C level, and and I and I say this to Cisos who. Um, can fall into the trap of being chicken little right there's a difference between articulating the truth representing a real risk explaining it without exaggeration getting that bubbled upstairs in an appropriate way and running around saying the sky is falling the sky is falling the sky is falling um it is a true fact that no shop ever has the security posture that its CISO would like it to have I I have never met a CISO who walked away going yep We're at hundred percent. I can go home and sleep now. Uh, I've never seen that in my career. There's always something that can be improved, always something that can be improved. And it's important to note that those areas for improvement are not necessarily the same thing as a catastrophe, as a sky is falling. So when we talk about CISOs, you know, potentially being the victims for articulating the truth. It is important to understand how to articulate that truth, when to articulate that truth and exactly how to express it um, in a clear, crisp business way. That is not exaggeration. That is not chicken little. Um, That, that is one caution I give folks. I I do hear some CISOs share tales and tell stories about, Oh yeah. And I was shut down for telling the truth. And then I I get to asking them about what was that truth. And it, it was some overreactive sort of stuff that, Anybody upstairs would have shut down. Um, so there is that one caution.
1: So what are your thoughts? Um, let's just kind of shift gears and talk a little bit. You know, we have no idea what the fallout's going to be with, you know, everything that happened in Las Vegas. Yeah. I mean, is the SCC, do you think they're on a rampage now to let's let's make some examples? Um, I mean, I, I, solar winds, that just, I mean, it happened so long ago. Are yeah. we still having, is I'm not technically the the Uber
2: case was was fairly far after the fact as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is not this is not uncommon. Large governmental um, machinations um, take time. I mean, that's just part of it. This is this is this is large national level government stuff. It takes a while. Um, But also um, legal filings of this nature with this level of detail required. That takes a while in general, regardless of who's doing the filing. So there's a lot of factors and variables why it might take some time. But when the Joe Sullivan case ended and he ended up not getting anywhere near as severe a situation as he could have, um, the SEC – I don't remember who it was at the SEC, but somebody effectively said – yeah 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 yeah. so he was the first one and he he was let off light but that's the last one we're going to go heavy from now on it was it was a it was a statement along those lines that that you know the next one is not going to get off easy and this is the next one here it is and they're going full court press i truly suspect there's going to be a lot more of this um my caution to the sec would be you know make sure you're, you're meeting goal by doing the right things, right? Let's let's uncover and investigate in each of these cases. Was it really the CISO acting in a vacuum? Or was the CISO not allowed to communicate what they wanted to communicate? Were they being squelched? Were they being told to shut up? Were their messages being altered as they worked their way up to the board? Was the CISO allowed direct access to the board? There's a million and one questions that we have to ask ourselves in each of these circumstances. And if anybody between the CISO and the SEC, you know, be it the board, the CEO, the CIO, the CFO, whoever, um, if any of those players were involved in altering the CISO's message in any way, shape, or form, then those parties should certainly be named as individuals as well. Um, and that's my one caution. I would love to see the SEC take on one of these cases where someone besides the CISO is the named individual, um, that maybe there's more. Maybe it is the CISO, but also others. Um, but, but I would like to see one of those cases really uncovered. If, if our goal is to change the behavior of corporate leadership – then we need to be targeting more than just the CISO as the individual named person. We need to find one of those instances, and I'm sure there's a million of them out there. The SEC can go grab one up very quickly. Uh, find that case where where the the leadership of the company was directly involved in altering the cyber risk message, um, and call those guys to to the mat. Like, let's make this comprehensive if we're going to tackle this kind of thing. Because I think right now we're scaring CISOs more than we're scaring companies. And, and I think the SEC's goal here is to ultimately scare the companies, you know, it's it's a scared straight kind of program is what they're implementing here.
1: Well, so what would be the difference? You know, you, you have a help desk person at MGM that took a call, you know, I yeah. mean, it, it, it was his he started this? So you know why would the CISO? You know I'm I'm just hypothetically nothing's happened. Obviously with MGM, you know they just paid the ransom and you know hope it's going to go away, which it's not. But um, you know w- what's the difference between the help desk guy taking the call? How would that fall on the CISO? He well, didn't train his team right. You know yeah, that's
2: that's exactly it. And, and this is this is another nuance that's super important to clarify. Um, I'm the CISO and I've got a help desk team that is vulnerable to social engineering. Or I have a VPN client that has a known vulnerability on it. And right now, at this exact moment in time, you can get into the back door of my shop exploiting this one vulnerability with relative ease. Um, I know that my training for my help desk staff was, you know, okay, but not great. Um, I know that I have one server that isn't patched. I know that I have, you know, there's all these little tiny little variables, little nuances. One one vulnerable help desk person falling victim to a social engineering attack. That's not something that a CISO is tackling or managing at a, at a strategic level, at a company level, at a broad level, at a material risk level, if you will, for an SEC filing. But those nuances and those little details exist in every shop. and. Part of what's coming out of the SolarWinds case is we're we're going to really be digging into that very matter right there. To what extent do the individual little details matter and to what extent do they add up to eventually crossing the line to where the SEC says you should have filed this as material risk? Um, I would argue that there is not a single organization on planet Earth, not a one, whose public cybersecurity message is 100% in line with their internal private cybersecurity message. And there's a reason for that. You don't go advertise to the world, here's my exploits. You, you, you don't file with a publicly filed document with the SEC. Oh yeah, and right now my VPN is unpatched and anyone who wants to can exploit CBE 2023-1758 or whatever it is and, and hack into my network in a, in, a, in a moment's notice. That article in the register I mentioned that came out late yesterday, um, it was the exact same story there. Uh, They have found and cited a couple of instances already in that article where companies were disclosing to that level of detail and almost immediately getting hacked as a result of having filed that level of detail. There's a reason CISOs don't go publicly screaming about all their vulnerabilities from the rooftops. It's because it puts your company at risk. The irony there is that the risk to the company is in disclosing, right? By disclosing, I'm creating risk. And this is where it's going to get really nuanced and really interesting really quickly because there's going to be a lot of CISOs that are going to have to figure out and a lot of companies that are going to have to figure out how do you balance that level of reporting? To to report risk is a mandate by the the law, but to report creates risk is a reality that we're up against in some cases. And so there's going to be a real nuanced little undertaking in that one space alone, right? Your help desk guy, your vulnerable VPN, whatever it might be.
1: So you know, you have your uh, Cyber Ranch podcast and, you know, we are in a error of this time where we have to be careful what we say publicly Mm -hmm. on social media because you know we're in such a cancel culture world do -hmm. you feel like we are in a tough place right now like i have to be very careful about what i talk about on my podcast and i even you know before we we talked i said let's be careful you know because i I don't you have to sometimes be careful what side you toe the line on sure so if you were working for a public company right now i don't would would you be able to sit here and have this discussion? I mean, where do you think, you know? know,
2: Yeah. I've always been super careful, you know, as a, as a veteran CISO and a veteran podcaster, both, you know, I, I've been a leader in cybersecurity for, I don't know, 15 years now. I've been in cybersecurity 25 plus years and I'm always careful to say, you notice everything I told my stories about being squelched, about having my message altered, about the board didn't get the report I submitted. I didn't say where that happened. I didn't say when that happened. That could have been anywhere over the last 15 years. Um, I'm always very careful to contextualize things that way. Um, I I have standard disclaimer phrases that I'll start with, like, well, throughout my career, I have once experienced, you know? Um, I would never in a million years speak to the security posture of a given company I was working for at the time. I would never do that. Um, the only time you're gonna hear me say things about all shops or all things is like what I just said about you know, not one organization on planet earth has a one hundred percent alignment between public and private cybersecurity messaging. They don't. That's a safe statement to make. It's true. There's nobody who, who is 100% aligned on, on private and public messaging because you have to keep the private details private, otherwise you get hacked. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm cautious to um, speak about specifics with any one entity. I've never accused any one entity. I've never named an entity. Uh, if I share a story from my past about, you know, a vulnerability or an exploit or something that happened, I make sure that enough time has passed that it's no longer an issue or a threat to whoever that organization might have been. Uh, I anonymize it. I, I disclaim it. I make sure it's it's you know covered vaguely in my past, as opposed to specifically at some particular shop or another. You know those kinds of disclaimers and and cautions I, I take. Um, I tend to be a pretty reasoned person, and I tend to be um, sort of a call for rational thought, uh, if anything, in this industry. And that's why you know on, on LinkedIn. I posted my story. I said this is my story, and I don't know if this story has any relevance to the to the Solar Winds case with Tim Brown at all or not. But it behooves everyone involved to dig in and see if the stories I've experienced are similar to the stories he was experiencing. Right? Uh, I'm not calling the shots. I'm not saying it's pro or, or or con. I'm not. I'm not saying he's a crook. I'm not saying he's a liar. Put him in jail. I'm not saying oh he's an innocent scapegoat. I'm not. I'm not choosing any of these hardline stances. I, I'm simply asking for better clarity, better thoughtfulness, um, and a little more depth in the approach that everybody involved takes, not just the SEC, but all of us armchair quarterback, lawyer, CISO types that are all opining on this, right? Um, I think it's just super important for everyone to chill out a little bit, um, think through the implications cautiously and carefully, and, and not just automatically jump to conclusions.
1: So uh, Brandon Hoffman had a couple of comments. First, he said, this is an excellent interview and discussion. And um, I I was very excited to talk to Alan about this. And then he said, there is a saying security through ab security, but the CISO should not be responsible with lying to the SEC and the other government organizations who require these things. The reports need to be facts and laid out honestly so they can be addressed. So what's your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I I think, the vehicle that's being created here the fact that material risk is the key phrase on the table i think we can navigate a world where the ciso doesn't have to disclose that the vpn is vulnerable that the one server isn't patched that the anti you know social engineering training was given to all but the new threeest hires you know the three newest hires in the in the help desk team or you know whatever those really nuanced little minor little bits are um, I think we can see our way through to not having to report that stuff, while still managing to bubble up the materiality of cyber risk and, and adequately reporting that. So, in other words, it's new. It's new territory, right? This the, the new SEC ruling about the material risk. This is still very new stuff. Um, they came out with a draft. They they altered a couple of key things, and then they and then they went live with it. And I think December is when they actually pulled the trigger on it. Um, it's going to be possible to navigate these things it is but part of what we're seeing with solar winds is you know precedent being established right so so this is part of why i was encouraging caution on the part of everybody including the sec is what happens with this case is going to get settled probably about the same time that the December laws go into effect. There's going to be some real key decisions. Like I doubt this case will be settled by then. it will probably drag out for years, Mm -hmm. Um, but there will be key decisions made key interpretations and key moments in this case already by the time December comes around. And it's going to be super important for all parties in this industry to very quickly get their ducks in a row on how do I articulate all these little minor things going on over here, Versus how do I articulate the the greater material risk? I mean, the SEC specifically says if it's a bunch of small things that add up to a material risk, you need to report that too. So there's going to be a lot of work to be done here. And, and uh, Evan Wolf, again, the lawyer who was on my show, you know, spoke to some things like some basic fundamental physics that you can do. Uh, conduct your pen tests under privilege. Have your attorney be the one in charge of the pen test and have the whole operation be done under privilege so that if you do uncover I've got this one patch missing on my one server or I have this one VPN that's vulnerable or whatever the various scenarios were I painted before. It's a good idea to have that under privilege and, and to have that whole uncovering of that under privilege so that you can really work effectively to transition from those little Minutia on up to that material risk statement um work with your general counsel
1: so yeah that's kind of the direction i wanted to head in you know for the, the remaining part of the podcast is you know it's it's i don't you know being in a lawsuit is not fun. And this poor guy, I can only imagine the stress now that he has on his everyday life wondering what's gonna happen. So no one wants to be in a lawsuit. So what what can what's your advice to what can the CISOs do to protect themselves?
2: Yeah. So there's there's a couple of things and and you know, and I spoke this through with with Evan as well. Um, you know, he 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 walked through some of these. So some yeah, you know, I'm stealing some of his ideas here, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Um, there's some there's some important steps you should take. There's directors and officers insurance. As a CISO, make damn sure you're on the DNO policy. Like, make that happen. Make sure before you sign on the dotted line and walk in the door at CISO that you are on the DNO insurance policy. So if a lawsuit takes place against specific officers, as in you as an officer of the company, that insurance steps in and covers the cost of that versus you are on your own and floating in the wind.
1: How many do you think, I don't mean to interrupt you, but how many CISOs, do you think are on that policy is that is that standard probably not i wouldn't
2: think. i have been on the dno policy once in my entire career one time and That's it was some great it was advice. my last full time ciso gig and i insisted mm-hmm. on it I, yeah. I i said this is a condition of my coming on board as a ciso now is i will be on the dno policy um, that is now practice for me. If I ever take a full-time CISO job anywhere, that will be an insisted criteria. Like I will not take the job if that is not done. Um, and, there's and also do you errors think
1: CISOs can can negotiate that if they're already in place. Yeah. Like I, hey, I know plenty I'm leaving if you don't put me on that. Because, mm. you know, for those of you that don't know, it's just a policy that covers if if you are in this kind of lawsuit, it's gonna cover up yep. to a certain amount of your legal fees, yep. which could be quite a bit.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and trying to negotiate that after the fact, obviously not as easily done as negotiating it, and walking in the door. But I, I think that, you know, it's a conversation that should be had. Mm-hmm. I think every CISO in, in America right now should be going to their boss and saying, hey, a- a- am I on the DNO insurance? And if not, how do we get me on there? Um, there's also errors in emissions insurance, uh, because remember that some of these suits and some of these things that may arise may not ha- involve the government at all. The SEC may not be involved. This could be something as simple as uh, we told a client we were cool and then we got hacked and the client came back and said, you said you were cool and then you got hacked. What's the deal? We're suing you. And errors and omissions uh, insurance, E&O insurance, can can help cover that. So there's D&O and E&O both that are, that are good protective steps. Um, and, again, just cooperate and coordinate with counsel. Um, one of the big decisions that has to be made is, is do you or don't you get your own counsel in addition to whatever the company is providing, right? So is the company's lawyer really going to represent you, the CISO, as well as the company, or if you are the one who's named in addition to the company, are you better off getting your own lawyer? Um, and, and I think that you're going to see some answers to that question come out that, that a lot of folks are going to say, especially if the CISO is named individually, they should probably go get their own counsel as well uh, and not rely on the company to, to represent them as well. Um, so so and, some of those considerations a, are on the table.
1: D- Diana uh, Salsas are probably messing your name up. Diana, she, follows our shows all the time she said and then you can determine your own console, not the company's so i think that policy does let you get your own console. i believe so but i'm not
2: sure yeah i'm not sure about the nuances there probably that's contractual language you can mix in one way Mm -hmm. or the other um i would imagine that one's got some room to negotiate but um yeah at the end of the day you know do the right thing right um don't exaggerate stay in your swim lane Make sure you bubble up cyber risk to the entities in charge of determining if it's material risk. Um, be cautious, You know, get yourself on the DNO policy, get yourself on the ENO policy, um, cover your bases and uh, CYA and um, do the right thing. And I think if all of those things take place, um, CISOs are pretty safe.
1: Well, let's hope, right? (laughs) I mean, I think, I think like you're giving some great advice for what you do, you know, when you're taking a new role on. It's just the people, the CISOs that are our friends that we know, you know, you just, don't know what's going to happen in the next minute you know and i think going back to i think it was one of our guests was talking about you know um the key is to the top here and it is what kind of CISO are you i've met a lot of different personalities with the CISOs. i I actually had a CISO recently said that nothing keeps him up at night i'm like well congratulations i'm I'm glad you feel that way most CISOs i talk to don't feel that way so um so there's a different who that was (laughs) do you Yeah, I was, I was, I was surprised. I was like, okay, well, congratulations. I'm glad you got it all squared away, you know, because we don't, none of us do, you know, we, we we all have to be worried about not, not, not really keeping us up at night, but we all have to check our security posture every single day, you know, And, and, and I don't know. I, I think you see some comments that are out there on LinkedIn that you know see so yelling at salespeople. You know, don't don't stop yeah. bothering me. But yet, his team you know, he works for a team that's a vendor and their yeah. team bothers me all the time, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so you know, I think, I think, do you think this is a time and place that CISOs are becoming more humble because CISOs, you know, in the security world, they're, they're the cool guys, you know, they're the Hollywood guys and, and gals, you know, they're yeah, the ones yeah. that get the red carpet treatment. And do you think this is, you know kind of humbling that position
2: i i think so and i think there's some real delicious irony in all of this as well um the common CISO lament has always been i've got a c title and yet i don't have a seat at the table right this is a very common refrain with CISOs, um not having a seat at the table in other words you're the only c-suite who reports to another c-suite instead of directly to the ceo that's a very common scenario the CISOs report to the cio or the cto or the coo and not the ceo Um, Another common I don't have a seat at the table is CISOs oftentimes aren't allowed in front of the board. And another common I don't have a seat at the table lament is, um, you know, I'm not part of determining material risk. I'm just bubbling up cyber risk and others, you know, people are making the more grown up decisions and, you know, on and on it goes. And, you know, there's some real irony in that, you know one could argue that there is no more state of having a seat at the table than being named in the suit by the sec. Like congrats, (laughs) you're at the big kids table now. Um, so I think it's super important. You know, you, you talked about humbling and humility. I I think it's super important that the CISOs who've been clamoring for a seat at the table recognize that that comes with a cost, right? Um, and, and this is one caution. I have no problems at all stating, you know, we talked about avoiding controversy and being too hardline on any of this stuff, but I will say this you cannot simultaneously demand a seat at the table and play the card that CISOs have so long played, which is, I don't own the risk. I just advise, right? Everyone else with a seat at the table owns the thing they own. And CISOs are trying to have it both ways. CISOs are trying to say, I, I, well, I want the seat at the table. I deserve the seat at the table. But I just advise on risk. I don't own risk. As far as I'm concerned, anybody who's a leader of the company, a true leader of the company, and I'm not talking about SEC legal terms of who's an officer and all that. I'm just saying, if you truly are a leader, you are jointly owning all the risk. And I don't care who you are. Um, the example I like to give is general counsel. General counsel is there to advise the company not own the risk, hypothetically, right? That's, that's kind of their role too. Um, but the reality is this, if general counsel takes on a billion dollar contract with a big client or a big vendor, and negotiates a lousy contract and allows language into that contract that that gives some kind of massive loophole to the other side, something goes sideways and suddenly the other company sues for a billion dollars because the contract allows them to sue for a billion dollars, you better believe the general counsel is going to be called to the mat for that. You, Mr. Lawyer, Mrs. Lawyer, whoever it is, you specifically authorized approved signed off on and said this contract adequately protects our company in the case of our doings with you know dealings with this other entity and here we are about to lose the entire business because of some massive suit that your contract allowed to happen you're fired right okay so the general counsel just advises and doesn't own that risk and yet there's a scenario where they, yeah they do own it because if they screw that up they, they you know boom they're gone good riddance you know big mistake made that's going to cost the company a ton of money well Why should CISOs be any different from that? Why can't a CISO walk in and say, here's the cyber risk. I'm pointing it out. We as a collective leadership of this business are going to decide whether we're going to carry this one, let it ride for another quarter, fix it now, partially mitigate it, whatever that decision is. I'm here to give my best advice, but I'm a co-owner in that ultimate ownership of that risk, right? Right. And, and there should be some more accountability for CISOs than I think we see in a lot of cases.
1: Yeah. And Solomon said, I, I don't know if we're going to have time to get to because we're down to about three minutes. He said, is there a potential for divergence in the interest between an individual and corporation? You should have your own counsel. And he made a good point mm-hmm. that remember, the last word of a CISO
2: is officer. So um, but it gets really interesting as what is the actual definition of officer? If you go look at most companies and look at the charters, the actual officers of the company usually don't include the CIO any more than the CISO. Like like the CIO is not even a true officer of the company. But then you go look at the SEC's interpretation of who and what is an officer of the company and they go all the way down to the VP level. So it's important when you talk about the contract, the insurance, the government's perspective, like like officer is a vague term. It's just like executive. Like, go ask anybody. What's an executive? Is that director and above, senior director and above, VP and above? You'll you'll get a different definition from everybody. So it's super important to understand the context when that keyword "officer" is used.
1: Well, would the officer? Would that be in like their empl- their general guidelines that a corporate attorney writes up for? I guess that language would be in whatever. Yeah, that... there's, a,
2: there's a there's a corporate charter that defines the yeah. entity defines the company, and and that's where the most internal use of officer is going to occur. Right. But the SEC has their own definition of what an officer of the company is. So, so it's, it's all going to matter about context.
1: So we're down to about two minutes. What, what would your last, adv- you know, just words or just to leave, we've had a lot of CISOs on the show today that are listening and yeah. um, thank you all for tuning in today, but what, what would your
2: advice or as a peer be to them? Yeah, I, I guess, number one is don't armchair quarterback this thing like let it play out don't just go straight to he's guilty he's innocent let it play out um avoid trying to decide it as if you're the judge and the jury because they had they haven't even been fired up yet right this is just volley one from one side of the fence and volley two like I said you know just came out yesterday uh and i haven't even had a chance to dig into it myself yet in detail um so don't armchair quarterback don't be too fearful either this is not the end of the world as we know it for CISOs it's not Um, but be cautious you know definitely take some lessons away from this but don't don't let it drive you away from being a CISO it's not time to freak out yet right
1: not yet I think we're still good Everyone, I'm um, Alan Al- Alford. Check out his, the Cyber Ranch podcast. He has some really amazing guests on that, um, on his show. So check him out. Look for him out at RSA. He'll have that big uh, black, uh, cowboy hat with his uh, compadre with the white cowboy hat. Thanks, Alan. It's um, uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. For everyone tomorrow, um, happy Veterans Day, and I hope everyone else has a secure, safe, and wonderful weekend. And we will catch you next week. Thanks, everyone.
0: a cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours FutureCon events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at FutureConHQ. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers, making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder of Next Robotics, host seamless podcast started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities technology cybersecurity. the result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere listen where you get your podcasts including apple spotify and stitcher